Welcome to another episode of Challenges and Icons and today I'm in the Rafa Cycle Club in London where I'm talking to James Fairbank who is the head of central marketing and brand for Rafa. Uh, Rafa was founded in 2004 by Simon Mottram who himself was a former brand and design consultant and it's all about Rafa creating the finest cycling clothing and accessories in the world and it's already regarded as a modern icon of cycling. In January 2013, Sky Pro Cycling announced that Rafa would become the official clothing supplier, taking over from the sportswear giant Adidas. Well, Rafa is now a global, even luxury online retailer, and Rafa serves as both a, um, an emporium of performance roadwear and a home to inspiring content that's all about celebrating the glory and suffering of road riding. James is a passionate and committed road cyclist, and prior to joining Rafa, he was the head of marketing and retail at Carhartt UK. Well, James is highly regarded as a cult brand marketer and has gained uh, success through his uh, emphasis on playing up lifestyle to garner recognition for his brand. He's increasingly in demand as a speaker on the global stage, sharing his views on brands and business and life on such prestigious platforms such as PSFK. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome James to Challenges and Icons today. Well, it's great to be here at Rafa and uh, welcome James to uh, Challenges and Icons. Very nice to meet you. Good to meet you too. Um, a great environment we're in here. Um, I was uh, here on Sunday watching the um, Milan San Remo race. It was a fantastic experience seeing how the whole Rafa brand and its uh, loyal fan base kind of gets engaged with it all. And, um, and, it's, and it strikes me that um, this is a, uh, a really um, dynamic uh, brand. Um, it's really been set up to challenge, I think, uh, all sorts of different things. And from your point of view, challenging yourself uh, through the sport and through marketing is clearly a part of your makeup and what's come through into the brand. So can you just talk to us about the challenges that are driving yourself and Rafa? Yeah, certainly. I'm, um I mean, the, the thing that led to Rafa's emergence 10 years ago is, is kind of the thing that still drives us now. So we're underpinned by this um, drive to honour the sport of cycling. We felt, um, or Simon felt before he started the brand in 2004, that uh, cycling had been wonderfully served in a component and bike sense, but, but the soft good side of things uh, was distinctly lacking so his experience in um, luxury brand consultancy um, had led him to kind of look around and come to the conclusion that he wasn't alone in feeling that as an active cyclist there was a kind of a market need for for products that were a little bit more akin to the other luxury brands that he was consuming um, in his uh, sort of casual wardrobe um, so that was kind of customer insight was really the catalyst for Rafa um, and the idea of honouring the sport through the creative approach in terms of the film that we produce or the photography is kind of the thing that still drives us now um, 
and it's still the thing that we find most challenging because we kind of truly believe this to be the greatest sport in the world mm. and our approach to marketing is to to try and encourage and explain that to as many people as possible whether they be kind of people new to cycling or people who've been involved in the sport for 20 years plus um, so to try and show the amazing uh, characters the wonderful stories the amazing archive photography um, the heroes and the villains is kind of a key part of our makeup um, so rather than focusing kind of on a product to sell, it's more about kind of focusing on the, the activity itself and, and yeah, as I said, honouring honoring the sport. So that's our, our daily challenge really. Um, that kind of coupled with a, an attention to detail, which kind of mitigates the expansion of the company as we grow um, and, and you know, we're ambitious in terms of where we'd like to end up. Um, the two things kind of balance each other quite well if you honour the sport and make sure that the quality of the creative output and of course your products are, are on a parallel then then that serves our business end. Great and it's become this kind of wonderful lifestyle brand um, if that's a phrase that you you feel comfortable uh, talking about and, and, and I think many set out to try and make a lifestyle brand but, but fail but I think a lot of um, your fans and uh, would, would say that this is almost like the ultimate uh, lifestyle brand in the world of you know, cycling. Um, just interested to hear what your definition of is of a successful lifestyle brand. Um, I, I think it would be any uh, one that has an emotional connection to, to the end consumer. Any, anything that actually works on a level that sort of transcends the products that you're, you're trying to sell. Um, and trying to make sure that um, it's relevant to people not only in a kind of obvious um, clothing sense but beyond that in terms of kind of the coffee you drink or the uh, you know the artwork you have hanging on your walls or your uh, daily routine kind of all of those things making sure that the brand's present at all of those kind of points throughout the day that to me is is what we try and aspire to be and I, I guess my definition of a lifestyle by, a brand would be one that has a as a true and valid emotional connection with the end consumer. Mm, okay, well there's clearly that's happening here, um, and uh, not just here but online and, and all the different touch points of, of, of Rafa. Um, and I think, you know, as, we, as Rafa expands and continues to innovate um, to, you know, for, for, you know, the performance market for the dedicated cyclists, but also there's got to be a temptation to appeal to a, a broader audience. Um, what are the, the, the tensions and challenges there as you inevitably grow you know, your business? Uh, do you feel there's a risk that as you kind of appeal to a wider audience there could be a risk of potentially diluting what you offer or how do you manage that? Yeah, I think um, it's a sort of recognised consumer um, characteristic that people like things to be their little secret. So, then as you grow as a brand, obviously it's, it's impossible to kind of balance those two things. So um, I think there are two ways that we try to mitigate um, this, is the um, attention to detail. Mm -hmm. So making sure that the quality bar is maintained across everything that we do um, is really important. And that's linked to how the business is structured. So retaining control of our business in terms of whether we're retailing um, online and that's about 80% of our business is through our website or through sort of spaces like this which are 100% owned and controlled by us which is a further sort of 10% of our business. Um, if you have those two sort of business to consumer um, aspects um, completely controlled 
then it means that you can control the rollout and you can control the way that people are perceiving you. So, so the physical environment, the rides that people go on, you know, the film that they see on the website or the photography that they're consuming. Um, and I think it's it's difficult for for people to criticise if you're um, you're still producing uh, work that kind of established you in the first instance. Um, so yeah, those would be the two ways that we try and yeah. try and cope with increasing ubiquity. Yeah. So the attention to detail that you've just been talking about is very prevalent in all the different touch points um, of the Rafa brand, from your website to the films that you do to the clubs and, and clearly the garments. Thinking about design in the, the big sense of the word design and creativity, how important do you think that is to building a brand these days? So I think the design uh, is, is completely fundamental to our to our business um, simply because owning those relationships with the customer from kind of um, our business straight through the end consumer it kind of has to be relatively seamless from the uh, website through to the packaging that people receive through to the impact mailing that comes with through to the films that they'll consume online as uh, also um, but it's it's also when we started kind of going back to that point of honoring the sport making sure that we kind of made design that designers would appreciate and then um, hopefully they kind of look at it and then look at cycling in a different light and reconsider their participation of it um, and that's probably something that we apply to all of the creative areas that we're involved in you know so we try and make film that filmmakers might enjoy or photography that photographers might enjoy um, because honoring the sport is part of kind of moving it forward creatively um, so so it kind of covers the entire creative gamut um, to try and make sure that we're doing a, a good job of um, of taking our sport further uh, rather than kind of just focusing on kind of key products yeah you know your role that you that you have is about driving the brand centrally and you have a view of, of pushing out creativity from a central source and we've, we've read that you um, only work with selective um, creative partners to help you uh, facilitate your brand and I've I wanted to ask you about your collaboration with Sir Paul Smith, who I'm a big fan of and who isn't, who also likes the attention to detail. Is he one of, would you see him as one of your sort of select sort of partners that represents the brand? And what was the reason for partnering with someone like him when essentially do you really need to partner with Paul Smith? Yeah, I, I mean, it, like a lot of things that we do, it's kind of driven out of consumer insight and an interest amongst kind of the senior management of the company to do something with Sir Paul. So uh, we first got together in 2007 when the tour last came to the UK to do a jersey and a, a cap together. Um, and that was born out of the fact that Paul Smith's a massive cycling fan and um, he was aware of Rafa and the, the project was born out of that. It was no more complicated or, you know, um, financially contrived. That led to a uh, kind of an understanding between the two companies that was then led to two seasons worth of uh, collaboration on city riding products um, and we still maintain that relationship through doing kind of uh, jerseys kind of uh, about every other season now um, but really it's born out of Paul's love of cycling like um, I always remember a, a quote of his from an interview and he says he's never happier than when he's kind of sat on the step of a place in Italy you know listening to the either watching the, the sport on the television or kind of just passing the hours that way and um, because he understands it and gets it you know he's really close friends with Mark Cavendish he's got an amazing jersey collection and an amazing collection of other ephemera and um, it felt like a very natural association and collaboratively that's really how we work with other people as well so 
whether it be in an individual freelancer sense. So uh, we got together with the, the photographer who shoots our campaigns, Ben Ingham, back in 2004. He still shoots all of our main campaigns now. And he just stopped shooting fashion because he stopped enjoying doing it. Um, but we were introduced, uh, or rather Simon was introduced to him through a mutual friend. Um, and Simon came clutching this book, which is uh, called Intimate Portraits of the Tour de France. And it was a load of photography of kind of key uh, figures in the sport. But they weren't actually riding bikes. They were kind of, um, they were off the bike. They were kind of shown in uh, having a massage or kind of in bed in some instances or crashed by the roadside. And so Simon went to Ben and said, oh, you know, it's the emotional side of things that I need you to bring to the photography. Yes, the products are a character within this photo shoot, but the key thing is the place or the faces that you're going to portray. And Ben got it immediately um, and managed to translate it very early on. But then we realised that Ben knew way more about photography than we did. So then to drive our photography forward, because the brand's parameters have been clearly set, it was like, well, Ben, just go and make your best work for us, because that would serve his sort of role well um, and it would serve his career well but it also serves our aims uh, too and, and it's I mean, partially financially driven certainly in the early days because we just couldn't afford to go to go to a big name and say right we want you to shoot the campaign but there's some wonderfully gifted creative people and the brand is, is was well enough defined to allow people to kind of come and do work for us and say look just make your best work mm. here are the parameters do you understand them yes like go away and make your best work for us and that approach still works for us um, and it allows us to kind of work in a, a truly symbiotic way with kind of designers or filmmakers or writers um, or photographers um, and it's really really important it's absolutely key to our success. Sure. And the, the creative output is prolific and, uh, and it's you know you can really feel the sport coming through in all sorts of different ways and I, and I love that idea that it, it, rather than it being potentially what I see taking place in other areas, a cynical partnership. It was more of a passionate partnership between someone like Sir Paul Smith and Ben the photographer, you know, that, that made it all kind of work. So you're 10 years on now, um, and what a success story it's been so far. Um, and there's plans that have been announced to expand the business, you know, uh, even more uh, than, than where it's got to the moment. So. This centralisation of the brand, that's got to throw a challenge up for you in terms of what you're doing, or do you still see it as actually relatively simple? If I can control the core, um, it's just a question of scaling it out? Or um, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to think that would work, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm aware that it won't. I think also as the regions become more important to us as a business, and we're about 30% UK bias, and. 30% uh, states but Europe's growing incredibly quickly for us at the moment then so they need to have more creative impact on kind of how the brands perceived but we'll always be monolithic we'll always be centrally defined it's just making sure that that those creative guardrails are kind of um, are defined correctly so people can kind of work within those whether those be regionally um, or within a freelance network that create sort of come into the um, come into the creative hole um, but yeah, it is, it is definitely a challenge and it's something that we are going to have to be comfortable with change, I think. But through being cohesive as a business um, and being resilient, um, it's something that we'll kind of get through creatively. Because we know we've, we've got, we have legitimacy, it's one of the wonderful things about being 10 years old, is that I think for our early years a lot of people felt we were marketeers kind of trying to take aspects of cycling for commercial gain. 
and I, I hope we've got to the stage now that people believe that we're kind of passionate cyclists who are trying to honour the sport and make a successful business off that approach. Um, so having won that sort of hard-fought fight, um, I think the, the next period is making sure that we don't lose that legitimacy through, through ubiquity and, and just making sure that quality may, is maintained is probably key to that. Mm. Well, I think with the, uh, the various kind of um, uh, the roller coaster that the, the sport has been on generally, um, and we were talking before we started the interview about the sort of the, the lows and now potentially the highs of the sport. Um, I think you're in, a, you're in a good position to, to capitalise on maybe a new approach to the, how the sport is seen. And, and, and looking forward um, and how the brand is going to expand, we know that you, you've got, um, you're investing in a bigger e-commerce uh, framework and more physical spaces like the one we're in. And, um, and do you see that as the future for the brand, this kind of symbiosis of both the digital space and the physical space? And what more might we see happening in that area? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. The, the two things have to move far closer together than they currently are. I mean, we're, we're a, a data-rich business that uses data quite badly. So for, for a company that conducts um, most of its um, transactions straight with the end consumer or through our own spaces, uh, we don't have a way of kind of joining up the customers who are walking through the door to purchase with the customers uh, online uh, data. Part of that is the fact that we've just launched a new website and it will take time to kind of marry those two things up. But we're really in our infancy um, in a sort of structural business sense for using that data correctly. But I think things like iBeacon are really, really exciting because it's one of those things that if you get an idea of what people are looking at but not purchasing, it kind of can inform everything from kind of the design process to the colour choices to, you know, or even if you don't make decisions based on that knowledge, at least you have the knowledge and at least you have that awareness within the business. So, yeah, because we control the process, because we will aim to continue to, to have that kind of balance, um, that's the thing that, that will um, kind of keep us ticking along, I think. Okay, so that aspect of technology is, is quite interesting. And we know that technical innovation is only going to continue throughout the world uh, generally. And that's perhaps one example of how it will help you um, provide a better you know, business relationship with your customers. What other areas do you see of technology impacting on the Rafa brand? I think participation's a, um, a very useful one. There's a number of kind of third-party um, sort of apps, Strava being a very uh, good one that pops to mind. Um, the idea of kind of creating campaigns around getting as many people to ride as possible and then share their experiences uh, online. Um, so whether it's a question of kind of riding a certain distance or a certain distance at a certain speed or going over a certain hill, um, taking it all back to riding and actually the active expression of what we're trying to sell, you know, bringing, uh, using digital to kind of bring those two things a little bit closer together. So of course you can go for a ride at the weekend and then you can discuss it, discuss it digitally after having done it means that you're kind of doing that kind of bed-to-bed -bed, um, approach of making sure that you're relevant to the customer kind of throughout their entire day. Um, so yeah, I think that's really, really interesting. I mean, we're not a tech company, so we'll always look to work with people who kind of are, um, are excellent in that space and sort of revered in that space. We, we know what we're good at and that would take a massive amount of investment for us mm. to kind of be able to come with. So it kind of relates to another um, aspect of the business which I see unfolding, which is um, sees you in um, connection and engagement with your supporters. 
through um, a community such as the cycle clubs that we're in and offering holiday packages. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how this is going to be beneficial to the brand and, and other ideas that may be unfolding? Yeah, I, I, um, I think Simon, if he, if he wasn't working here, which I couldn't imagine, um, I think he'd be spending his entire life on a randonnée, so it'd be one of our holiday offerings, which is kind of the idea of um, you know, either doing the, uh, the Raid Pyrenean, which is kind of riding from Biritz to Collier, going across the spine of the Pyrenees, um, and kind of staying in beautiful accommodation and eating extremely well, but then riding hard during the day. That would be kind of, that is his ideal life. Um, and the thing that he kind of rides the rest of the year to kind of be in a decent condition to be able to achieve. Um, so it made perfect sense for us to own kind of the ultimate expression of how we see the, the Rafa brand. So we worked with um, someone third party to deliver travel and then took it in house last year because it was like it's something that's so close to our hearts. We kind of have to own it uh, completely. Um, so yeah, that, that side of things along with ownership of, uh, you know, almost complete ownership of other parts of the business from distribution to, to the way that the website looks, um, that will pave our expansion for sure. Just making sure that we have control over it and the quality is maintained. Mm. So um, let's talk about the competition because um, I guess there's a, you know, you, you, you've challenged the big boys, you know, you're, you're, you're sponsoring you know, Team Sky Pro having replaced that Adidas. Um, and uh, Nike has kind of had a sort of like a falling out with the sport, I guess, after the, you know, the Armstrong sort of doping scandal. Um, but the competition's got to be watching you um, and seeing a very successful brand build a real connection. And, um, and you've, you've kind of, you've got this sort of luxury sort of feel about you as well, um, which is quite amazing for a, effectively performance gear to be seen as a luxury kind of brand. So. Do you see more brands kind of come into your space? Are you worried about what the big boys are up to? Um, I think it would be foolish to ignore the rest of the market, but it's certainly not something that consumes us, simply because we're probably more involved with marketing the, the sport itself than we are kind of trying to sort of take market share off competitors or kind of dominate certain aspects of the market. I mean, to draw a parallel, I think what Nike did with running and where that took them to as a brand, is, it's, an, it's an incredibly aspirational thing to think that we could do the same within cycling, you know, and take a pursuit and make that so central to the brand that we became all about it. And then that led to, you know, a, a brand which really has some kind of clout and is revered in 10 and 20 years time. Um, as regards kind of the newer companies that are kind of popping up, I think they're a reflection of just how buoyant the cycling market is at the moment. Um, and I, it's, yeah, the, the smaller ones, are, yeah, not such, a, not such a concern. I'd be very worried if Nike suddenly turned their guns back to cycling. But the problem with cycling is it, is a, it has a checkable past, which scares a lot of the large companies off, which mm. is why Nike pulled from cycling in the first instance and, and why Adidas left as well because the, the fallout from a major doping scandal is something that they would impact their business completely. I mean, we're not naive. We know cycling has a, has a checkered past, um, but we celebrate the sport warts and all. You know, you can't honor the sport without honoring some of the people who, uh, or referring to some of the people who were 
um, definitely cheating, unfortunately, and it's their part of the history of the sport. You can't ignore that. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're comfortable kind of um, having those conversations. I think to not do so would be to shy away from sort of a difficult discussion. Sure. Um, and it's one of the things that makes it an emotional con connection because it's very, very emotive. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, um, thinking about the sort of, you know, how Nike have sort of, you know, maybe stepped away from the sport, you know, and that sort of sense of the adversity that all the publicity surrounded, all the doping created, there's that adversity is, you know, perhaps a sort of good place for the Rafa brand to build success in through the kind of the purity of the connection that you are creating through the, the glory and the suffering that you are projecting through the brand. And I think that's a really powerful sort of one-to-one -one message which it gets across. So you're a creative guy. Um, maybe you can tell us about what you would like to do next with Rafa um, or things that are personally kind of aspirational for you creatively. What, 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 what's the future for you? Um, yeah, definitely a creative facilitator. I'm, I'm backed by an amazing group of people who produce some amazing work. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I guess, the gatekeeper to make sure that kind of what goes out, um, along with Simon and Slate, um, is of a requisite standard. I, I mean, personally, cycling-wise, I am an ageing amateur cyclist who, who wants my second cat licence back for racing, so I'll uh, endeavour to try and get that back this year. But um, I, uh, I adore riding. I adore riding in the British Isles. I adore exploring. Um, and I find them probably at my most useful when I'm kind of riding my bike on my own, kind of uh, thinking about things, whether they be work-related or more widely. So, um, yeah, trying to make sure I've got space to think um, and space, space to think about what makes our customers tick. I mean, personally speaking, um, I am very passionate about helping a new generation of cyclists come through. So kind of support of emerging talent um, is something that's very close to my heart. And there's some amazing sort of um, well, young men now from Hackney who are kind of emerging on the international scene. It, to watch them um, develop is, is something which gives me great pleasure. Um, also events, I think amateur racing in the UK is poorly served, um, I think mainly because sportives have taken all the attention, so I'd love to try and help um, develop sort of amateur racing in the UK as well. Um, yep, so those I guess are the two things. It's very close to work unfortunately, I, I'm unable to make a distinction between the two things. Um, so yeah, if I come across beautiful photographers I try and apply them to work or you go and see an amazing film, you know, um, Mika Levy's soundscape for under the skin so good it's like I've got to find that girl and then try and get her to work on a piece for us and so trying to think, bring things from a wider cultural world to bear on kind of the passion which has defined my life pretty much since I was sort of 14, 15, that's the thing that kind of makes me too. Well I, I suspect that, no the sort of creative mind you are you probably don't see work as work, you probably just see an extension of your life and that is very clear from what I can see all around me here. And uh, I think those are some great aspirations, actually, and I uh, wish you the best of luck with those. And uh, just want to say thank you very much for taking part today. It's been a great interview, and uh, I've certainly learned a lot more about the brand than, uh, than I knew before I was coming into it. So congratulations, keep it going, and we look forward to thank even more much. success. Oh, that's really kind. Thanks for very much for coming to visit us. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> okay, great. Cheers. Thank you.